Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, plays on and misses. Libba, 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 Libba. Okay, what's up everyone? This is Americans Watching the Footy. This is episode number five. I am Ethan Castle, joined as always on the airwaves by my co-host and younger brother. Hi, this is Benjamin Castle coming to you from Berkeley. Excited to get to this round one preview. The home and away season is almost upon us, and there's a lot to get into between the matchups, the injuries, potentially some other news, and... We aren't going to waste that much time, but we're podcasters, so we are going to waste time. Yeah, just really quickly here, how was your weekend? It's Sunday night or technically very early Monday morning. Tell me about your weekend. Well, (laughs) that is Ethan's cat, Brian, meowing outside his door. That was adorable. Glad that's big. He's not coming in right now. No, he's, he's not, but... Tell me about your weekend, because there's actually something somewhat relevant, you know, only one degree of separation from footy. So why don't you tell me about that? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, I had a conversation about the footy at a rugby union game. Cal's rugby team is very good. They are top ranked in the nation in Division One. And a couple of days ago, they beat Central Washington. I think it was 48 to 19. And while I was there, I was talking during most of the second half to one of Cal's basketball players, a guy named Kwani Kwani. He's a tall and lean forward from South Sudan originally who settled in Melbourne. I saw him come in with a couple of his teammates and started talking to him, asked him if he watched much rugby in his time in Australia. He watched much. I asked, did you watch a lot of the footy instead? And he said yes, and our conversation took off from there. So it turns out Kwani his whole family really are Bulldogs barrackers, except for him. He supports Essendon just because he says it was the first club he watched, and I guess he wants to be different from his family. However, he still does have ties to the Bulldogs because he's friends with Buku Kamas, who got a little playing time last year and will hopefully figure in more this upcoming campaign starting, well, for them, Wednesday. Yeah, I just thought when you told me that, it was pretty neat and listeners might be interested. Um, I've had a pretty interesting week as well. So I, for my job, I was in Sacramento, just a couple hour drive away, the uh, state capital for the state high school basketball championships. And then today, for those of you that aren't aware, was Selection Sunday for college basketball teams. Find out if they're in the NCAA tournament, my alma mater, University of San Francisco, USF got selected for the first time since 1998, so I'll be heading off to that. So I'll be watching round one on the road, 
watching from Indianapolis, so Eastern time zone rather than Pacific. And when we give you the times of all of these matches, we're going to give you all sorts of different time zones for both American and Australian fans to be able to follow because it can get a little confusing otherwise. I almost forgot that Indianapolis was on Eastern time, and that's despite having been in Indiana myself a few years ago to visit Indiana University Bloomington. Indiana is, I mean, I didn't see all that much of it, but I did like what I did see, just the minimal parts of Indianapolis and the IU campus. The airport is super easy. And for someone like you, Ethan, who does a lot of traveling, you'll be pleased by that. It's small and it's just, it was, I think, the first one built with the new regulations in mind after September 11th. So it's very up-to-date. It's, it's not YouTube, so we probably haven't been demonetized, but... It's like on YouTube. I mean, the moment you mention COVID, you get demonetized. Speaking of monetization, I was trying to think of a good way to segue into this and say it in the middle. I'm just say it now. I have set up on our page on Anchor, and you can see links to it, that you can support the program. So hopefully we'll be like YouTubers, you know, and we'll get some comment, you know, hey, man, really love your videos. Got me through some rough times over the last year. You know, my entire family died in a fire and I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. But watching you play Dr. Mario keeps me going. So here's a thousand dollars. Brian agrees. Yeah, I don't I, I don't really have a great transition from that, but I wanted to throw that in there just while we got a chance. And also just feel free to interact with us on there. Comment, follow us on our Twitter accounts. We'll mention them again at the end of the podcast to remind you. The show Twitter account is at Americans Footy. And personally, we are at Benjamin HK01 for me, at Castle Media for Ethan. We have had a little interaction thus far with a couple initial listeners, and we'd love to keep going with that. Yeah, I'd say um, one of the nice things so far is that we are starting to pick up a little bit of that, but send us more interactions. Honestly, that's more important than the money right now. It's not always about the money, Spider-Man. So without further ado, this is basically going to be the format we use each week for our preview episode. We're going to kind of break down each match, give you a little preview, talk about not just the typical... You know, what do we think about each team? But beyond that, the injury report, you know, what do we think about the actual matchup itself? What sort of narratives and themes do we see? Maybe make a couple of ill-fated predictions. And we're going to kind of see how this evolves. This is honestly a work in progress, but I think we're just about ready to go. So, you know, to make a long story short, let's make a long story short. The first match of the season is Wednesday morning hour time. Melbourne and the Bulldogs have a grand final rematch at the G. Should be packed, should be absolutely electric. So that is Wednesday, March 16th, 1 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, 4 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight, and then 7 10 p.m. Local Melbourne Time. And the story kind of writes itself for this one, considering it is right where we left off in September for the most part, especially considering these lists have. Hardly changed. Yeah, now do have some injuries to do with Melbourne is in pretty great shape health-wise, other than some tightness for Stephen May. Bulldogs, you know, they're going to be without Josh Bruce until at least pretty late in the season. Going to be without Sam Darcy until late in the season. Alex Keith is a wait-and-see. Toby McLean's going to be out for a while. But both these teams obviously look super strong coming into this. I'm going to kind of try to challenge myself to come up with an alliterative theme for each of these matches. And for this one, I'm going to go with, 
I'm going to go with the fan frenzy because, you know, neither regular season match last year got to be played in front of anybody. A couple of those, at least the first one I remember, was like a couple days before the match we found out, ooh, Victoria's putting in restrictions again. That was in round 11, which the Bulldogs were technically the home team for. Melbourne won that one by 28. Bulldogs then beat them by 20 at the G in round 18. And then obviously we had the grand final. Um, Pathway to success for the Bulldogs, maybe don't make a tackle that looks like it's going to give you all the momentum. Don't have a play that should symbolize you absolutely kicking their ass, like Caleb Daniel toppling Max gone, because everything just goes to shit after that, apparently, which still makes no sense to me, no matter how much I think about it. What do you think as for the actual match, how these teams size up? Obviously, it's going to be you know, two teams that could not just be in the eight, but I think everyone, just about everyone projects to be entered near the top four. I think the consensus we had was that both these teams project to be among probably a, a five-team race for the top four. I'm just fascinated by the midfield battle that ought to be developing. It's what we had in the grand final, and, well, not just that, but everybody is, for the most part, healthy and should be a lot fresher considering they're off, what, more than six months training. You've got the same tandem and the same kind of trios as last time. Petraka, Oliver, Harms as a third is ridiculous. And then in the dogs midfield, just the fact that Trelore is considered an interchange is mind-boggling in itself. I think the more you mention it, the more I think this could be a day where Bontempelli really takes over and maybe gets a little bit of revenge for the grand final. Obviously, one is going to be remembered much longer than the other, but I have a feeling the pendulum could swing in the other direction, even though I really do like Melbourne squad from top to bottom. I think it's going to give us a quick chance to see just how impactful life without Josh Bruce is going to be for the Bulldogs. If they could just, you know, have a bunch of different guys score in the two to three goal range, or if they're really going to miss his presence. I'm just hoping it's the great atmosphere that these clubs deserve because, you know, the two matches they played in Victoria last year during the home and away season, they didn't get to play in front of anybody. And this is, I think it's a fun way to kick off the season. I know you've talked about how you're not a huge fan of this matchup going right away and how you'd rather have some anticipation built up, but I kind of like it. Coming off a season where the fans really didn't get to enjoy a lot of things in Victoria and nationwide, I get it more than other years looking at the the mock 22 they actually have harms projected as an interchange because uh they've got brayshaw and langdon going up with petraka oliver kind of as a follower with gone and viney meanwhile for the bulldogs i mean it's, it's just insane just looking at these lists you got you're gonna have bonapelli and mccray roaming everywhere with english a half that half forward is a little scary with Waitman, Naughton, and Hannah together. Smith, Liberatore, and Hunter all moving together, roaming the center. I feel like Liberatore is someone who he gets talked about, but I just don't think people actually appreciate the impact he has enough. And also, he's got awesome tattoos. I think maybe he's one of those guys where we're a little more preoccupied with the personality than we are with the actual on-field contributions. Um, One other thing that I forgot to mention before we kind of dove into this so interesting that of the nine matches we've got four between two teams that played finals footy last year and or five between teams that 
didn't make the finals. There's really nowhere near as much of a chance for true upsets in round one. Whereas last year, I think you, know, you had some different narratives. I think this year it's, it's so interesting because we've got teams coming in, either coming off very satisfying seasons or coming off very disappointing ones. Kind of a chance for the rich to get richer, chance for the poor to get poorer, and a chance in this case for one team to really make a splash and the other probably not to be alarmed. Another I- note for the Bulldogs, I don't think I mentioned this in the team previews. Uh, Easton Wood did retire, former captain, and so he's the big out, I would say, in terms of what the Bulldogs had last year that they don't have now. Looking at Bovada, an American gambling site, you see the Demons favored by nine and a half, which is a pretty low spread. I think that makes sense. Obviously, betting is a lot of times just figuring out the public perception of this work, but that seems like a very appropriate line. Any prediction for first goal of the entire season? First goal of the entire season, I'm going to give to an Aaron Naughton set shot. I'm going Bailey Fritch. Continuing the momentum he had for the grand final, did he kick? What did he kick in that? Like, did he kick five? Something like that. All right. Um, I think that just about covers our opening match. We got another matchup that you usually see in the opening round, at least over the last few years, which frankly is where the depth of my footy knowledge is, just within the last few years. You know, I've got, I mean, I'm not unaware of the history in sport, but I definitely know the details of the last couple of seasons more. So Carlton Richmond, which has been the traditional season opener. This time it's not the season opener, but it's still on its traditional Thursday because we've got the Wednesday opener. And two teams coming off real interesting campaigns. New era starting for Carlton, as we said. Talked about them a bunch last week. You know, my take on them was they were always a team that I thought was super dull in the past. And I'm looking forward to watching them more this year. And that'll start Thursday night as they get into the Michael Voss era. Richmond, look, we know the narrative there. Coming back from a down year, coming back from a lot of injuries in better shape health-wise, in much better shape health-wise, other than missing Dylan Grimes. So why don't you run through, you know, potential teams and what we're looking at for rosters and what you see from there. Well, for Carlton, the Michael Voss era, I did watch a bit of their Amy Community Series against Melbourne. Amy. Lucky indeed that we have Watch AFL that has all of these streams saved for years. I mean, you could go back as an Eagles fan. I can go back and watch the 2018 Grand Final, and it's glorious. But the Michael Voss era starts with some injury concerns. Harry Mackay is expected back, although he may not be at 100%. Would be great to see Sam Doherty coming back, coming off cancer would be even more of a lift for the team. They will be without Sam Walsh and Caleb Marchbank, at least for the first four rounds, as well as David Cunningham, as he recovers from a knee issue. Of course, the big in is Adam Chera coming over from Fremantle. He'll be slotting in around the center of the ground with Lockie O'Brien and Will Setterfield around there. And without Sam Walsh out, I think more responsibility just in terms of roaming and being the midfielder that we expect him to be will fall on Patrick Cripps, who is capable of a lot and who the umpires always like giving some extra meters before he has to bounce. And of course, he has his longstanding rivalry with Patrick Bloods that originated in the streets of Los Angeles. 
I think one of the interesting things about this is, first off, how can Richmond's backline handle life without Bashar Hooli? You know, yes, he's been hurt a lot, but it's still a big absence to overcome. And how's Richmond's depth? It's going to get tested right away, even though they have pretty few injuries. This is a much younger and less experienced Richmond squad than in past years. I mean, you look at their listed projected interchange and really the only ones that I have any familiarity with watching are a little tiny bit of Jake Arts and Ivan Soldo. But I think this is a chance from a narrative standpoint for Richmond to show we're still here. And I think they do that. I think this is a really tough match to get much of a read on as tough as it always is to predict round one. I think this one in particular is a bitch to predict, but I'm leaning Richmond here. I'm also leaning Richmond. Uh, One note is Robbie Tarrant is likely to be the one to get that responsibility that Hooley had beforehand. We talked about Tarrant a little bit in the team preview uh, as a defender who came over from North Melbourne after 14 years looking for something perhaps more successful. Club bested Ferris back in 2016 and seems like he'll be raring to go in that spot along with Daniel Rioli, who I'm just surprised at how much he's thrived moving back considering the nose for the goal that he had early on in his career. Looking at the line for this one, once again, through Bovada, Richmond favored by 15 and a half. I think that's a pretty accurate line. I don't think there's something on that spread that really jumps out as a, wow, you really got to hit this. To borrow the old Rumsfeld terms, Richmond is more of a known known, even with departures that they've had and even with the team being two years older than their last flag, five years older than their first. Dustin Martin is back, and that's probably enough to convince a lot of people to bet on them. And then Carlton, yes, there was a good first impression to start the Voss era, but it is in many ways a known unknown at Prince's Park. And I don't expect nearly as much money to go on them these first couple rounds as other teams just because they need to show what they're made of. And for a team that is thought of by some people as having a chance to crack the eight, it's going to be important to make that impression right away against a team that some people consider as being viable to get the double chance. Yeah, I still think double chance is a little bold, but I think, you know, I do have Richmond returning to the eight. It's nice that this isn't the only time they play. They play again in round 14. I think generally it's, I much prefer if a round one match gets to go again later because it's so hard to gauge. Round one is so strange. They only played in round one last year. It was, you know, the return of fans to the G, crowd of close to 50,000, and Richmond won that one by 25. Unfortunately, I can't think of any fun little moniker for this game, but I don't think you need a funny little name for this to be intrigued. I think the storylines have written themselves, and I'm just curious to see where these teams start because I don't think anyone expects either of them to so much pick up where they left off. It's the opener. Oh. The other opener is another alliterative term, but I like yours better. We're going to roll with that. All right, so the opener O is the only game on the 17th of March. That is the Thursday. Again, that's 1.25 a.m. Pacific, 4.25 a.m. Eastern, 
7.25 p.m. Melbourne time. Before we move on, looking at this article of mock teams, I do see a photo of Hugo Ralph-Smith, who in addition to having a cool name, has some of the better hair in the competition, which I was not aware of. So that's another player to watch for for Richmond. He's listed as a potential interchange that, as of a few minutes ago, I knew nothing about. But the hair makes him intriguing. And Hugo Ralph Smith's a quality name. Yeah, I I remember seeing a little bit of him in the middle to late season last year. Forget exactly what his impact was, just because, weirdly, Richmond wasn't the focus. But are we all of a sudden doing like the Minnesota high school hockey thing where we're just going to get an AFL all-hair team by the end of the year? It's definitely possible. I, I like the idea of that. Captain by Basilenka. Of course. On to our third match, the last of the standalone games in the sense that it's the only game in the night. There are other games that are going to be the only one on when they're being played, but this is the last that's the only one of the night. Another match between two teams that didn't make the finals last year, St. Kilda and Collingwood. Now, when we previewed things, I was very down on St. Kilda. I could be way off there. Collingwood finished second from the bottom last year. Nathan Buckley's gone. Craig McRae's in. They played in round 16 in 2021, a nine-point Saints win. And they're getting ready to go at it this time at Marvel Stadium rather than at the G. As we mentioned, you know, Collingwood has a few more matches at Marvel this year, both home and away, than they typically get. And this is a St. Kilda home contest. I just find it interesting because you've got two clubs that are very uncertain with their coaching prospects. I was one to say during our previews that I think Brett Ratton has the second hottest seat in the competition behind Stuart Dew of Gold Coast. I mean, for anyone this year who underperforms, there's always a thought of, oh, wait a minute, Alistair Clarkson might be available. But even with their elimination final win just two years ago, the underperformance last year has really turned some heads in the wrong direction for St. Kilda, both within and outside the club itself. And then Collingwood obviously is starting a new era. I never thought Nathan Buckley was the main problem, but it was time for Collingwood as a whole to get a revamp. Eddie's gone. Nathan Buckley's gone. Of course, Jordan Degoe is still there and his problems are there off the field, but he won't have to miss any time. So what that's worth. So this Jeff Brown, Craig McRae era will start with some injury concerns. Uh, presently, they're waiting to see if Will Hoskin Elliott can complete training on Wednesday, has some minor hip and groin issues. If he can, he's likely to be available. In terms of other absences, Nathan Kruger is out with a concussion and also a suspension, so he won't be playing regardless. Jordan Ruffhead's shoulder is keeping him out. And Nathan Murphy has an ankle issue that is longer term looking toward the midseason for that. But Taylor Adams is expected in. The high-flying Jeremy Howe expected in for Collingwood. For St. Kilda, a waiting word on Patty Ryder. They're thin at the ruck. And if Ryder is out, then it's pretty much going to be Rowan Marshall the whole way. And that's not optimal. And Jack Billings is going to be out for sure. And that's a big loss, as well as Hunter Clark. Dan, Dan Hanabry is expected in the early season, but not this week. Looking at the spread, St. Kilda favored by eight and a half. Another one where I think I'm just so down on St. Kilda that 
I think maybe Collingwood ends up pulling this one out. But I think if you're trying to judge the public perception and create a spread where half the money's on each side, I think that's pretty appropriate. I wish I could go out there like, you know, the um, New Jersey accent gambling radio guy and give you, you know, the stone cold lock of the week or whatever. But this, these all seem like pretty reasonable lines so far. There might be one at the very end, depending on the, line for that last one looking just more at the ruck a lot of it is going to fall on rowan marshall sep ross is also around as a follower and then if Ryder can't go jack hayes is a mature age recruit who may need to fill in in patty Ryder's absence regardless of what the situation is all i know is max king needs to find steadiness early because Neither of the Kings had it early last year, and Max is the only one playing this year. St. Kilda and Collingwood bounce is at 1.50 a.m. Pacific, 4.50 a.m. Eastern, 7.50 p.m. Melbourne time, and it's new era versus potentially end of an era. All right, moving on to the 19th in Australia, the night of the 18th into the morning of the 19th in America. The first real full day of matches is going to start with Geelong and Essendon at the G. Two teams that made the finals last year. Geelong made the preliminary final but could not avenge their round 23 defeat to Melbourne. That dropped them from first to third of the ladder. Essendon have yet to break their finals win drought that has stretched now into its 17th year. These two teams played in round 16 last year at the G. Geelong won that by a solid 41 points. And this contest in round one, the fourth match of the season, will bounce at 8.10 p.m. Pacific, 11.10 p.m. Eastern, and in Australia, 2.10 p.m. Melbourne time on the 19th, the Saturday. So real Saturday afternoon footy like it's meant to be. I believe this is one of just two Cats home matches at the G this year. It's also the Power Core Country Festival, which I always find funny that they when they do the Country Festival in Melbourne instead of in Geelong. Seems a little bit counterintuitive, but looking ahead, injury situation for the Cats. A lot of guys listed, but it looks like pretty short-term stuff. Jed Buse, they think, should be good to go after suffering concussion concerns in the Community Series. You bloody beauty. There's a chance Mitch Duncan could even play. He's got a calf injury, but that would just be kind of, I'm looking at that at least as an extra unexpected boost. Jack Henry, the talk seems to be that he should be good to go. He's got a foot injury. We'll see about Mark O'Connor's knee. Would be nice to have him to mark guys up front. Would be nice to have him to mark someone like Sam Draper. Surprised to see that there's a chance Brian Myers could go even with his syndesmosis. We know we shouldn't see either Sam Menegola or Gary Rowan or John Seglar, but Seglar's injury means more opportunities for Reese Stanley to prove himself after a pretty lackluster campaign. For Essendon, no Anthony McDonald's tip and Woody. He has returned from his personal leave, which is very nice to hear, but he's not into game shape yet. Jake Stringer with his groin is going to be a test for round one. Harry Jones is definitely out with his ankle injury. Other than that, the injuries are less significant. I think this is 
a really good opportunity for both teams after both have shown pretty poor form in round one in prior seasons, especially the Cats. Get off to a poor start and I'll be complaining about Chris Scott not having his team ready for a match that they've had months to prepare for. Hopefully that's not the case. I think it's just one of those games where whichever these teams loses, you know, they can kind of get dragged down into the mud and put themselves in a difficult spot. Even if it's just, I think it's one that both teams are really looking to make a statement, but I think the statement more is in the form of not so much how they play and just a matter of getting the four points. Considering how banged up the Cats have been, even if the report's starting to look better, I really think this is one where you're looking more at just get the four points rather than look good doing it. It's it's interesting because normally I think to myself early in the season is more about process than results. I think for both these teams, this is a match that's going to be more results oriented than process oriented, especially for the Cats, maybe a bit less so for the Bombers. I'm interested to see how Tyson Stengel factors in for Geelong. Probably going to see him in more of a following role. He played minimally for Richmond for a couple of seasons, then was on the Adelaide list and saw time in 2019 and 20, then was back in the Sandfell last year, led Woodville West Torrens to the premiership there and signed in November with the Cats, someone who people may not expect to play a big role, but you can't just have Hawkins in that in that following role. And in terms of Essendon injuries, I will say that Zach Reed being out till mid to late season is also pretty significant. I know you've talked a lot about Chris Scott, that you're somewhat down on him. But at the same time, you've sung Ben Rutten's praises. Do you think that there's how much do you think that really coaching is going to play a factor in the end result for this opener for both these teams? I think for round one, it always can because you've had so much time to prepare. Yes, there's a psychological aspect and there's the matter of you know playing your first actual match together. But I think coaching really does matter from a tactical standpoint, not so much an in-game adjustment standpoint, but an overall game plan standpoint. What do you perceive your team's strengths to be? How do you go out and attack a team that you've had all this time to be ready for? And I definitely prefer Rutten in that regard. Okay, yeah. Spread has the Cats favored by 10.5, which I think is appropriate, although considering the Cats' round one form, if you were going to have to bet on someone, I would consider taking... As in, then maybe not just the spread, but the money line. They're plus one thirty-five. So you put down a hundred dollars on them, you'd win one hundred thirty-five. Should the bombers be the ones that, as the song indicates, fly up? I mean, DeLong crapped the bed last year to start off for sure. Uh, Did twenty twenty I mean, as well, although you know, empty stadiums there for the first time. That was even more of an aberration than your typical round one. So I don't know what to make of that. That was also an abnormally good kicking day for Greater Western Sydney. They were at 85% accuracy, which is a club record that continues to stand. And I don't know, maybe Adelaide just had something last year in the beginning that they just trailed off. I am still shocked about how quickly they fell, but we're going to get to Adelaide toward the end of the program. Meanwhile, as we look toward the mid of this first round, you were talking about teams having a long time to prepare for this one well the sydney swans have never stopped thinking about their crosstown opponents to the west because they fell to them by a single point 
and wants us to, to end their season last year. And now they're going to match up again in Sydney Derby 23 to start off their 2022. Greater Western Sydney is considered the home team at Accor Stadium, Stadium Australia, the stadium from the 2000 Olympic Games. That is an 11.10 p.m. start for us in the Pacific time zone, 2.10 a.m. in the east of the United States, 5.10 p.m. local time in Sydney. These teams played, obviously, three times last year. Two of those were very close. Round five at the SCG, the Giants got by by just two points. Round 18, that match was moved to Metricon Stadium after a couple COVID snap lockdowns changed things. Sydney got through by 26, and then there was that nail-biter elimination final. There always tends to be at least one elimination final that is just ripping the whole way through, and that was definitely one of them. Now, I've been very high on Sydney's youth, but of course, the big headline is Buddy being on 995 goals. And the potential for him to really come out and be the buddy of old to start the season, kick five and send Stadium Australia into a frenzy, that would just be, I mean, kicking five goals is enough of a lift, but to have a potential invasion and to do that against your main rival would be as big a statement and as big of a building block for momentum for that game and that season as anything. My big concern for Greater Western Sydney, yes, they're without Toby Green, but my big concern for them is in the ruck because not only is Shane Mumford gone, but Braden Proust was suspended for round one. So really, the Giants only have one true ruck, Matt Flynn. And so he's going to be damn tired by the end of it. And it's an opportunity for Tom Hickey and Pete Laddams to play a big role. Laddams, of course, in his first game for the Swans, coming over in a trade with Port Adelaide. The line for this one says Sydney by six and a half. One thing that I think was interesting looking at this, I'm surprised that this isn't a primetime game, whether that be Saturday night or maybe, you know, round out the week Sunday that is kind of snuck into the middle here because I think this might be the single most compelling between the buddy factor, the three matches last year, that is the local rivalry. So many things to watch here that I thought this was maybe the biggest game, but instead it is the middle one. Ah, yes. That is a really deep Monty Python cut. If anyone gets it, please let us know because we'd be very impressed. I'm looking through the injury list. In addition to the suspension, obviously Toby Green suspended for five rounds. Jesse Hogan is a maybe. We'll see what he does for GWS if he goes. Brent Daniels out with the list rank for four months. Jack Buckley not set to return until midway through the season. Much shorter list of injuries for the Swans, but Callum Mills with his Achilles injury is a test for round one. Or if you're American, you know, questionable game time decision or, you know, day leading up to the game decision. I'd say questionable is the best way to describe that. And then seems like he's expected. And then Tom Papley out with the hamstring. That's pretty significant. Although every time I think of him, I just think of how many times the AFL showed his very unspectacular celebration of his late goal against the Cats last year. And I just roll my eyes. But I think this is just, again, maybe the most compelling match of the entire round. I think the question is, how does the 
Giants backfield handle things other than Lockie Whitfield. I think they are the biggest question of any position group out of either of these teams. And coincidentally, that's an instant chance for Buddy to really make an impact with so many eyes on him. And it's also an instant chance for the younger guns. If so many eyes are going to be on Buddy, maybe we'll see Chad Warner, Tom McDonald sneaking through. I would not be shocked if Buddy wasn't the highest scorer. If someone else who maybe wasn't even 25 got three goals. As I mentioned, Sydney's six and a half point favorites, one goal favorite. I think if I had to pick here, I'd probably lean Sydney, but considering that the Giants have shown the propensity to pull out some tight games against them, this could be really fun. And I actually, because I'm going to be three hours ahead of where I usually am, because I'm going to be Eastern time, it's going to be 2 a.m. where I am instead of 11 p.m. I actually kind of appreciate that this match isn't a few hours later. It would be tough for me if this was 5 a.m. on the East Coast, but since it's 2 a.m., I should be able to have the capacity to stay up and see the whole thing. And if not, I'll you know wake up and catch the end the next morning or whatever it may be because watch AFL is great like that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Again, I just think this is the absolute best match of the entire round, even more appealing to me than the grand final rematch. I just think there's so many directions that this could go, and every single one of them is super compelling. And we haven't even mentioned, you know, the typical players that a lot of people expect to step up, like Tim Taranto for the Giants, Isaac Heaney for the Swans. Another one to definitely look at, Jake Riccardi to kind of fill in with some of that Toby Green absence. This is going to be a tight game probably because it's the Sydney Derby. And that in itself is enough reason to watch. And the beautiful thing about this round is no two games are scheduled to overlap. They're all three hours apart, if not longer. So if you are so compelled, you can watch all nine of them live. And barring my lack of midterm progress, I intend to do just that. Of course, my spring break also starts this weekend, which helps even more with these later games. And since I'll be away, you'll be grind sitting. So hopefully he'll be able to sit there and watch with you and you can post post all the content of both him and the matches on our Twitter, which, as we'll continue to plug, is at Americans Footy. As you mentioned, Jake Riccardi, I'm curious to see how he does, how he slots in next to Harry Hamelberg and Bobby Hill. Dang it, Bobby. You've always loved Harry Hamelberg just... From a name standpoint. Also, I think he actually spent part of his childhood in New York. That's it. I think he was a little bit disappointing last year. I think this is a real good chance for him to bounce back and start the 22 campaign on a really high note. All right, moving on to the final match of the night. Now, this is one I was able to come up with a little alliterative thingy for. It's Brisbane hosting Port Adelaide at the Gabba. The last two seasons when they've played... It's a match that I get super hyped up for, two top four caliber teams, and then just ends up kind of being a blowout. So I'm going to call this the Gilded Grapple because, you know, it looks all fancy on the outside and then on the inside, it's actually kind of shitty. I hope that's not true, and I hope this lives up to the billing of two of the top clubs in the competition over the last few years. But last couple times they've met, it's just been a lopsided Brisbane win at the GABA, and here we go, at the GABA, once again, it's, I don't know how much of it's the shape of the ground, how much of it's been the travel, just a matchup thing, but this has been a matchup that has certainly favored the Lions the last couple campaigns, but how do you break this one down? Firstly, I'm just intrigued that they're playing this one at the GABA, considering that they played their last season. I'm not, I'm trying to remember 
I don't think Brisbane meets Port Adelaide again. No, they don't. But there are some weird scheduling quirks like that. The Lions have yet to face the Eagles at Optus Stadium. They've played the Dockers there, but they have yet to be away to West Coast since 2018. And that is continuing this year because the Eagles come to the GABA in round eight. I do not get it at all. And at this point, I just think it's a running joke. Again, with my focus shifting more and more to the midfield as I become more knowledgeable about the game, I'm interested to see what the deal is going to be with the Brisbane Lions lacking Eric Hipwood. I think this is really Zach Bailey's time to assert himself again on the national stage early in the campaign like he did with his after the siren goal and just general play against Collingwood last year. Dane Zorko, a test for round one. Keaton Coleman is out till the midseason. And Ethan, I don't believe you think that's that big of a loss for them. I just really like their depth. You look at the guys who are listed as possible emergency players, including Kalamachi and former basketballer Tom Fullerton, who has to be mentioned that he used to play basketball. If just like got, how Mark Litzov used to do steeplechase. If you've got Cam Rayner and Nakia Cockatoo said to be interchange, you're in very good shape. And even though I think they will miss Hipwood's goal-scoring ability, I think there's still so much scoring that Brisbane can rely on. Only real prediction I have for this match, in which Brisbane's favored by 11.5, is that I think Cam is going to score at least one and get a huge reaction when he does so. I would love that just from a pure fan of the footy standpoint. I'm intrigued to see how much Chris Fagan pushes him right away. I know that they've praised the way that he's trained, but that's training. As for Port Adelaide, I think Robbie Gray sounds like he will play, but it sounds like Charlie Dixon will not. And that is definitely quite the loss all over the ground, if so. I actually think in a lot of ways, this is such a great opportunity for Port Adelaide because it's a match that if you lose it, it's like, okay, we went on the road and faced a really good club. And then their schedule gets a little bit softer. So I think they can kind of play loose, play where they've kind of got nothing to lose. And especially if you don't have Dixon, that just even more mentally as long as you don't take that as the sort of defeatist mentality, this could be a really great opportunity for them to make a splash and show that we're not just a team that beats up on the lesser clubs. We're a team that can run with the best of them, not just at home, but halfway around the country, which I think would be an enormous statement. I think they might be the team with the biggest chance to make a statement and also one of the teams that has the least to worry about if they lose round one. Also, perhaps just some more focus will fall on the newly extended players. Butters and Rosie just both signed extensions. And I've talked about how it looks like Connor Rosie has put on some muscle, and that's definitely something he needed. In terms of the timing for this game, the bounce will be the morning of March 19th. So early Saturday morning in the United States, 2 10 a.m. Pacific, 5 10 a.m. Eastern. In Australia, it's 7 10 Queensland time, 8-10, Victoria, New South Wales, Tasmania time. One thing matchup-wise that I'm really interested to see is can O'Lear O'Lear pick up where he left off in the defensive half if he does against a Brisbane team that, again, even without Hipwood, is just loaded from a goal-scoring standpoint. I think this could be a chance for the power to make an enormous statement I would assume O'Lear's going to get a lot of time on Joe Danaher just from a size perspective, maybe see some Oscar McInerney as well. I think this is just 
a chance for Port Adelaide where I think you've got to be nothing but positive knowing the potential that this has. As much as you wouldn't want to start 0-1, as much of a tough draw as this is for round one, I think this is a world of opportunity. I do still think the Lions are going to win this one, but if the Pats do I come out and keep it competitive, unlike the last couple of years against them, I think they'll emerge with nothing but optimism moving forward, which is weird to say for a team that's a top four regular, where it's normally any result that gets you less than four points is hard to be satisfied. I think just considering the circumstances here, they could have a lot to build off, even if they don't win it. Meanwhile, that idea of having a lot to build off, even if you don't win it, applies just as much to the next match going into the 20th in Australia, the evening into the night in North America on the 19th, the first of three to round out the round on that Saturday, Sunday for us here in America is Hawthorne and North Melbourne, the timeshare tussle, as Ethan and I have come up with. This one's at the G, though. I believe they will play again in Tasmania at some point this year. I think they're going to be playing at Bluntstone. But this one's at the G. It's 7.10 p.m. Pacific on the 19th, 10.10 p.m. Eastern, 1.10 p.m. local time on March 20th. Both these teams were bottom five last year, and North Melbourne's got a second-year coach in David Noble, who I do think has them trending in the right direction, as opposed to how rudderless they were from what we saw from them under Reese Shaw in 2020. The last time these two teams met, it was North Melbourne getting their first win since round nine of the previous year, ending a 16-game losing streak, and also getting Noble, a Tasmanian native, his first win as a head coach. Of course, since then, Hawthorne's made the big change. Welcome to the Sam Mitchell era. How do you think that's going to start? Well, first off, I'm going to just assume this is going to be one of the least attended matches at the G. Definitely the least attended of the round, maybe, unfortunately, for the year. But I think it's an interesting matchup because I still, as we said when we were breaking down these teams, both these squads have a few really nice core pieces and I think now it's an opportunity for those guys to show if they're really premier core pieces and chance for some of the less notable players on either of these rosters to prove themselves. Someone like a Jack Scrimshaw for Hawthorne, someone like a Jack Mahoney for North Melbourne. Also looks like Jason Horn Francis is going to start. He's projected a half forward along with Jaden Stevenson and Nick Larkey. So I'm very curious to see what these teams look like. I think it's a chance for one of these two to start to emerge from the bottom third of the ladder and get back in the direction of being in the conversation instead of the only conversation surrounding them being, wait a minute, who lost to these guys? So, I mean, that's how I felt last year when, I mean, Hawthorne were down the ladder at that point. And yet I still was just blown away by the fact that they lost to North. We talked about it before. Maybe this is a chance for one of these teams to, be the team where people say, you know what, we beat them, but they held it close the whole way rather than feeling bad about only getting by by a goal or two if you're a final squad. And I know that you particularly liked uh, watching CJ last year, uh, Chankwa Joff, another one of those uh, South Sudanese guys that I mentioned to Kwani Kwani. Uh, was he born in Kenya? No, he was born in Ethiopia. A lot of the South Sudanese ethnically are obviously born in the refugee camps. And I'm just fascinated to see just the social side of 
you know, this new South Sudanese crop of players, not entirely new, but definitely some younger ones entering the league. Just from a sociopolitical standpoint, it's interesting. And it's a cool, diverse mix to add to what's already becoming a more diverse game in Australia with increased indigenous presence. Looking at injuries, a couple of names that really stick out to me for Hawthorne. Jarman MP with his ankle and foot injury likely out the early rounds. You mentioned CK Jaff. He is a test for round one with his knee injury. Jaff is not expected back. He and MP both says here expected to run out of time to prove fitness after surgery over the summer, but definitely an early round target for him to emerge. And then with Daniel Howe, he is also listed as test for round one with his concussion. Now for North, the one who really stands out is obviously Ben Cunnington's absence due to his continued recovery from cancer. I am interested to see where Jacob Koshitsky and James Werbel pick up for Hawthorne. I think they showed a lot of progress towards the end of last year, and I think it's going to be pretty entertaining. One note here is that we could see three different Ruckman get going for North between not just Goldstein, but perhaps some reps for Tristan Zary there. And then Callum Coleman-Jones could also end up as a Ruckman at some point. So curious to see if they start to transition away from Todd Goldstein in the circle or if he continues to hold down the fourth there. I mean, he is 33, so getting up there in age... Let's see how long he sticks around, especially in a side that doesn't seem to be contending quite yet. And if he's really searching for that flag, I'm interested to see where he may want to go or if he's really committed to being a one club man and is willing to ride it out and pave the way for the next generation of kangaroos. And interested to see how Coleman Jones factors in coming in from Richmond, where he did not have the best personal go with things. I remember, I think it was back in 2020 that he and Sidney Stack were involved in that nightclub incident on the Gold Coast. I think this is a match that later in the season, if it happened, this would be one that would get glossed over, but because it's in round one, because it's by itself, there's no other game that intersects with it. I think it could actually be pretty compelling. Looking at the spread here, Hawthorne favored by six and a half. I'd probably lean a little bit more than that, but I think I think that's fair, especially when you consider the new coach aspect. I think that's actually pretty fair, but I, I would definitely lean the Hawks. I think at the very least, this is going to be one of the more compelling games for both these clubs. Moving on to the penultimate match, Adelaide hosting Fremantle at the Adelaide Oval. Another matchup between two non-finals clubs last year, all three of the Sunday matches are between non-finals clubs. I have a lot of expectations for the Dockers this year, as we said in our preview. And I think although a road match round one, there's certainly all sorts of excuses that you can make. I think this is a chance for them to really make a statement. I think there might actually be some pressure on them to do so. I'd say definitely so, especially with some key pieces, either questionable or missing for Adelaide. This first round, Jordan Dawson is a test. I believe that he is expected the former Sydney Swan. Rory Laird, however, is likely out until round four. Lockie Murphy out with a neck issue. Paul Seedsman has a concussion. And of course, Taylor Walker did a racism. So he is out until round four because that suspension was kind of split in half by last season. So questionables for Fremantle, Nat Fife. His shoulder is expected to be good enough for the captain and dual Brownlow medalists to play in round one. 
Rory Lobb is a test. The big loss, though, is Matt Tavener. His hamstring is going to keep him out for perhaps longer than the team initially expected. But nonetheless, the pressure is definitely still on the Dockers. And let's see if Michael Frederick can keep up where he left off in the community. His five that he bagged against the Eagles. I think, obviously, Taverner is a pretty significant loss, but I still really like this Dockers team. I think just from a narrative standpoint, it would make too much sense if Jordan Clark goes out and absolutely balls out. Because that's what former Cats do. Also, just that he's one of the bigger recruits to his club out of this whole cycle. There's a lot of discussion about him, so I'm definitely intrigued to see what he does. It was also just that that process went on for so long that I think there'll be a decent amount of eyes on him. I assume like in the lead up to the match, they'll show him in warm ups probably a thousand times. Wouldn't be shocked. Looking at the projected 22. Yeah, Lob is expected. That's a great half forward line there if they can all go. Switkowski, Lob and Frederick and then also playing with Fife, Tucker and Liam Henry. I know that I mean, we've both sung his praises a bit early on. As for Adelaide, I'm interested to see if Riley Philthorpe picks up where he left off. Seemed like he had a fire lit under him from day one, that great Anzac contest against Hawthorne that they somehow lost, which still boggles my mind to this day. The mind boogles. Despite kicking 15-0 to start off and finishing 16-3, but that was last year. And there's a lot of questions to be answered about, you know, where do the Crows stand? Obviously, the Matthew Nix era started off quite poorly in 2020, had a few wins right near the end. Then they started off hot in 2021 and lost that momentum just as quickly. It's going to be hard, I think, to get a read on these Crows early. And maybe this is another one where we'll have to look back for both teams to really see, okay, what signs from this game were able to be seen throughout the year and what trends were they able to buck? Frio favored by five and a half. I think people remember that the Crows were a pretty tough out at home last year. I think that's, for that reason, a pretty understandable line. I wish I had more to say of, you know, oh, this is a terrible spread. You got to jump on this one way or the other. But I think I think it's pretty appropriate. I think Frio as a you know, minus 135 on the money line, bet 135 to win 100 for those of you unfamiliar, makes sense. This is another matchup that later in the season could be a little less intriguing, but as it's in round one, and you've got a Dockers team with, I think, a ton to prove and a chance to really break out, this could be a super entertaining matchup. And it's interesting that, like I said, you know, the pressure would be on a team that didn't make the finals last year, that's going on the road in round one, an actual road trip, not just, you know, playing as the visiting team at Marvel or the G or something. But I think there is a lot of pressure on Fremantle. I think this is, you know, this could be one of those shit or get off the pot moments. And I think that's the second straight week I've used that analogy. This is the second straight recording session that you used it. I know that. So Adelaide and Fremantle, that is late March 19th on the West Coast. So late Saturday night, 10, 10 p.m. bounce in the Pacific time zone. Early morning, March 20th for the East, 1, 10 a.m. And then because of time zone oddities in Australia, it's 3.40 p.m. local time in South Australia because they have a half hour offset from the Australia Eastern time zone where it's going to be 4.10 p.m. 
the only other country I can think of where you have a time zone that's offset from a half hour from the rest of the country is in Canada, which is in Newfoundland. Maybe this is a Commonwealth thing because, you know, you have countries that are a half hour or 15 or 45 minutes off, but not a subdivision within a country other than one small spot in Canada and in Australia. So I'm sure that just confuses the shit out of people, at least within the U.S. The time zones are much more straightforward, just, you know, an hour off as you progress. So that 30 minute thing could definitely be a bit of a mind fuck. I'm sure it's confusing even for people that live in Australia and have lived there their whole lives. It's probably even more confusing during daylight time or the summertime, as they may call it. I think they call it daylight time. But so actually right now, South Australia is a half hour ahead of Queensland, which doesn't do daylight time. Yet South Australia is to the west of Queensland. So right now, South Australia is half an hour ahead of Queensland, but half an hour behind Victoria. Makes sense. Yes, makes complete sense. And I'm trying to think. I know there is one country that is off by like 15 or 45 minutes. I think Nepal is like 15 minutes. I think they're like India plus 15 because India is like UTC plus five and a half. But again, it's not a subdivision within a country like this. I, I just find that pretty fascinating. So that means that there is a three and a half hour gap between the bounces of The second to last and the last game, the last, of course, being, well, we haven't mentioned either of the teams yet, so you can probably figure it out if you haven't already seen the fixtures. It's West Coast and Gold Coast. For some reason, they scheduled the same Coast Clash, I guess, because Q Clash for Gold Coast. I don't know. I was going to say Coast Commotion or something. I had something else with a C, but it wasn't Clash. So yes, the coast commotion, coast kerfuffle. I know that's not quite alliterative, but at least it's a it's a hard C, so it could work. I think the loser of this match is going to be the team I have the most negative perception of out of any. Yes, the Eagles are going to have an exaggerated form of their injury list with their current COVID situation, which you can give an update on in just a moment. But before we give an update, I do have a quick break because during our preview of the Adelaide Frio match, I received a notification from the AFL app. Sam Doherty is going to play for Carlton in round one. Congratulations on his inspiring return for cancer. That's something that we can all be pretty excited about. Just wanted to give that That real time. That is awesome. And I mentioned that earlier on. What more do they need to start the Michael Voss era than another burst of inspiration and that'll definitely be just that but going back to the coast commotion i just think commotion is a very apt word considering the injury concerns for both sides of course gold coast injury list is shorter but still notable nonetheless ben king is out for the whole season charlie constable has a growing issue that's going to keep him out for at least a month jack bows looking at a month Mabir Chol is considered a test for round one. Let's see if he's currently in the Mach 22. Looks like he is expected to play along with Levi Casbolt, who got delisted at Carlton. It's going to be extremely weird to see him in those new colors. Gold Coast, again, they have pieces there, no doubt. They have younger pieces. Isaac Rankin, Matt Rowell, Tuke Miller is a little older, but he really emerged last year, all Australian, deservedly so. But Alex Sexton needs to step up again in Ben King's absence. As for the Eagles, 
I used the term laundry list to describe their injury woes, and now I'm just thinking of that SpongeBob floating shopping list moment with the sheer terror of looking at just how many names are on the list. I'm counting right now. I pulled this from the Sporting News a few hours ago before filming this. There were, oh my gosh, 12 names then, and that's not even counting the COVID stuff. Luke Shuey is a test for round one. Hopefully, Captain can go, but no Oscar Allen yet, no Elliot Yo yet. Jack Darling has recovered from his brain injury, as I said in episode three, but he has a foot issue now. Dom Sheed is a big out, and then there's the whole virus issue. Learned a little bit before starting this recording that Tim Kelly now has tested positive. Some members of his family had tested positive before, now he has, so he is out. Liam Ryan is in health and safety protocols, though it's understood that he is not tested positive yet. We'll see if he is able to go for Sunday. And Nick Nanui apparently was, quote, one of several Eagles missing at Monday's training session at Mineral Resources Park, end quote. Again, a decent amount of time between now and then. This is going to be the nightcap, March 20th morning cap, I guess, for us on the West Coast, because it's 1.40 a.m. bounce, 4.40 a.m. Eastern in Australia, 4.40 p.m. Western time, 7.40 p.m. Eastern time. And going back to last year when these teams played, for some reason, it's the exact same round one matchup and venue as last time where the Eagles got through by 25 points. But I am honestly compelled with the injury situation and just by very low expectations and just the Suns having the ability to fire early out of the gate, especially with everyone healthy, fingers crossed that Matt Rowell's knee actually holds up. I am thoroughly considering actually putting money against the Eagles, depending on, you know, where the spread falls. I honestly wouldn't be shocked, actually, if they take this line off, considering the uncertainty around the Eagles 22, but Ethan, do you have information on what the line is for this one? Um, yes, it's as of now, the Eagles is four and a half point favorites. You know, with their injury situation, I was actually thinking of not the floating shopping list, but a different SpongeBob scene. You know, like, here's our list. The guys that are injured are listed in red. Everything's in red. Yeah, I know. That that's kind of the SpongeBob thing that I was going for. So the reason I'm going to have such a negative perception of whoever loses this game from an Eagle standpoint, it's kind of an idea of, oh, shit, is this really what our season is going to be like? Is everyone going to be injured and we just have no shot? Although, again, this is an even more exaggerated version of that. And if you're the Suns, yes, it's a tough trip to perk. But if you can't go in and beat this version of the Eagles, what are you? And then that's when you start to question Stuart Dew's long-term status and really the entirety of the Suns organization if they fail to win this one. I will note, no, I don't think Alistair Clarkson is going to be going to the Gold Coast. I think he wants to go somewhere. They have the ability to win quickly. And, of course, that's a tough thing to get around to. You know, the teams that, you know, are expecting to win – are the ones that are going to retain their coaches. Honestly, if there's any spot that I would be thinking, you know, is a dark horse for Clarko, I honestly wonder if Port has another disappointing season where they can't get over the hump. I know that they've said that they've been committed to Ken Hinckley, but I'm wondering if the prospect of getting Alistair Clarkson to come in might just change things. 
I think the same sort of thing could go for the cats. So the cats do seem from everything you can tell to be pretty satisfied with Chris Scott still. I think that's one other possibility. I do not think Geelong is a landing destination for Clarko at all. They're at the end of a window. And I think Clarko wants a place where not just he can win, but where he has a foundation for beyond a few years. Look at how long he was at Hawthorne. Look at all the success he was able to build there from the ground up, even when he had pieces early on. That's why Port stands out to me in that regard. Plus, I just can't see him flipping to the other side of that rivalry, considering he had to endure the Kennet curse. For the Eagles, now matchup-wise, it's hard to even look at the mock teams with the amount of guys who could be out. So it's hard to really predict where you see various matchups shake out. But I think like we said, this is a big opportunity for Mappy or Chol. I think this could be his chance to really break out and show that he was one of the more underrated recruits of the offseason. And the Suns forwards, I think, could end up being a super underrated group that could actually do a lot of damage this year. And that would obviously, this could be a chance for them to springboard into a really positive campaign where I think it's definitely their strongest group. I think their midfield's pretty solid. Their back is a massive concern, but I think their forward group could at least make them a compelling team. Now, the question is, will Stuart Dew's style fit that? Because at times, stylistically, the way they've tried to play just hasn't fit their personnel from what I can tell. So I'm curious how that shakes out. The one thing that I do think from the Eagles could be a really positive matchup here. You know, we'll see how much more the demonetized virus affects them but i think there's a chance for their bigger goal scorers especially josh kennedy to do some big things maybe also jack patricelli with his speed because again that sun's team is pretty weak in the back it's weird this is a matchup of some fast forward lines rankin playing forward obviously will do a lot miller should play forward a decent amount sexton's got decent speed as well so it's really going to be a focus on, you know, how much can the defense be able to kind of swallow up those faster forward players for both sides? And also just how much can Matt Rowell do coming back from yet another injury? I hate bringing it up again, but it's just sticky in my mind. I'm just thinking about our first experience watching the footy and watching him. I mean, what did he get like nine votes in four games in 2020 or something like that? So we know what he has been able to do. Is he able to return to that? And if so, how much can he do alongside Tuke Miller to really propel the Gold Coast Suns forward? This is a make-or-break year, especially without Ben King. And it's a make-or-break year for the Eagles as well. I see them at the end of an era, and I'm wondering if they'll even have a chance to really make or if they've already broken. I still think there's room for the Eagles to struggle this year and then kind of try to rally together next year again. It's weird that we're already talking about next year for the Eagles. Who knows? Maybe they come out and just play with nothing to lose and make the Suns look like a complete shit show. But I'm just hoping Matt Rowell is able to look more like, you know, I made the comparison last week for those of you that know baseball to Byron Buxton, who plays for the Minnesota Twins. Tremendously exciting player when healthy but not often healthy. Last season, he played a great first half of the year when the rest of the Twins were a complete shit show and then got hurt again. I'm wondering if the same thing could happen here for Rowell, where if he stays on the field, no matter how bad the team could be, 
he could be really, really good. This is a match that, you know, they played round one last year. And you look at it last year, it's like, eh, whatever. Maybe the Suns have a chance to show something. And they showed a little bit of promise and then faded a bit in the second half of the match and then faded as the season went on. But this year, I think it's so compelling from the, this could be a dumpster fire. Like, you know, if you follow college football or college basketball, you may be familiar with the sickos committee. Like people who, there's a group of people who you know, always try to feature and joke about the worst in the sport. You know, like a, a game that's 0-0 zero, zero going to overtime. Like if the sickos committee had existed for that Wake Forest Virginia Tech game with the image of Frank Beamer celebrating, if you know college football at all, you know the one. If you don't, basically coach is celebrating and it says, you know, end of regulation, Wake Forest zero, Virginia Tech zero on the screen. Wake Forest had just missed a field goal to send it into overtime. And then there's just this long tenured coach is like, yes, we're going into overtime scoreless. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It would be funny if it was any coach, but I think this is the match. This and I guess North Hawthorne are the two sickos type matches for this week, but I think this one especially because both teams have the potential to be such a train wreck, not just being bad on the field, but with what could be an issue off of it as well. I think this could be really entertaining from a sick, twisted perspective. Obviously, you'd probably enjoy this less than I could, but this could be really captivating from the standpoint of someone who, when you don't have a dog in the fight, the bad side of things can be really, really entertaining. I think there's more appeal as I've gotten to watch more footy and as you have as well. And we've started to understand storylines and where teams stand. You know, We can appreciate matches between non-finalist teams, as is the case with this one. One that could otherwise, you know, to the casual fan, this could be, oh, it's one team that's always been bad and one that used to be good but has injuries, whereas... With the context, this could be such a fun mess, a complete nightmare, some sort of fever dream. This could be a great way to cap off the round, even though you it's weird. You know, I'm so used to with, you know, American football, Sunday night football or Monday night football. Usually at least one, especially the Sunday night game is really compelling. Whereas this we're kind of ending the round with what doesn't exactly seize the moment like that. But this could be so fun from a sick, twisted standpoint. Ethan. I am a Cal student. You don't think I enjoy the sickos aspect of things, even when it's my team. It's perfect that the West Coast Eagles wear blue and gold, because honestly, I feel like I'm just going to be living through kind of a Cal men's basketball type season again without the context of wanting to fire Adam Simpson. You know, we've already made two SpongeBob references in this match alone. but I think there's kind of a third we could do. Fire away. You think this is funny? In a cosmic sort of way, yes. I think that's such a good description of what this could be. What? It's just the ordinary West Coast. Oh my goodness! Simbo! With that, I think that's a really fun way to wrap up our breakdown of round one. Hopefully <laughs> we'll have more SpongeBob references. Maybe that'll become our thing. You know, look, we're too early in this to have much of, you know, what's our branded thing but this is definitely one of those where we can start to be people who throw spongebob references in all the time and i already know of a couple listeners who will certainly appreciate that 
if you've listened all together, if you've made it this far, thanks so much for tuning in. We're glad you can share in the excitement that we have. We're ready to get going. And I think just previewing this has given me more excitement, more anticipation, more context. And I hope it has for you as well. You're excited. Feel these nipples. I know I just made Ethan so happy by throwing in a basketball reference, and I have really four midterms in three classes this week, and I am wide awake and ready to watch the footy at a moment's notice. I am compelled to really kind of shift my sleeping schedule for this, I'm not going to lie. Is it healthy? No, but go Bears, and I guess car the Eagles to go with that now. One thing I like is that your midterms are actually in the middle of the term. There are some schools some professors some classes where you know if it's like a 15 16 week term you could have a midterm anywhere from week four through 12 no then it's just a test there are plenty of classes like that at cal it's just kind of the nature of humanities courses to actually follow you know the principle of a midterm which i very much appreciate and then also another thing that i'm going to throw in no i feel like if it's a 16 week term the term Needs to be between week six and ten, ideally week seven to nine, but could be week six or ten and it could still work. But anything outside of that, no, fuck you. Midterm, the last week of instruction, I have had it once for like a science breadth class, like a gen ed thing. And that's not a midterm. That's just a test. I don't know why professors are so reticent to use the word exam. It's a fucking exam. Call it a spade a spade. That makes me irrationally angry. You know, I've again, I've heard of it as early as week four, as late as week 12, but final week, that's... Final that's day of instruction. That's a major problem. You know, for all the complaints that people have about education in America, that is the actual biggest problem with our education system right now. We got to get that fixed. So as soon as this recording's done, I'm going to go and work on that. Let's go write some emails, you know, and I encourage all of you, wherever you are, to do this as well, you know, email the chancellor or president of your nearby college, public or private, whether it's a school you go to or just happen to be in the vicinity of, because this is a problem, and it's one that I'm very passionate about. There are a lot of issues in the world, but I don't think anything is bigger than a test being called a midterm when it's not actually in the middle of the term. Very good. I am all in on this. I am so looking forward to these next five days to just reignite my love for the footy, even more than this already has tonight, which do I kind of fear it? Yeah, but I want to fear how much I love the footy. You've been on point with the references. You know, normally I'm the one that's still up and wide awake at this hour, but I've had a long weekend with state basketball championships. We can hear it in your voice. One other fun thing for the American sports fan as the NCAA tournament is about to get underway. So for those of you that aren't familiar so much with the NCAA tournament and March Madness, especially if you're listening in Australia, where I know the NBA is popular, but there's nowhere near as much interest in college basketball, though both of our schools have Australian players, as we mentioned. And then we're also in the same area as St. Mary's, a school that's had Patty Mills, Matthew Delavadova, and so many other big-time Australians. March Madness games will be wrapping up. The last ones of the night tipping off within an hour before footy starts, and those games will be Thursday through Sunday for the next couple weeks. So the schedule fits perfectly. When one ends, the other begins, and it's going to be a really fun time on the sports calendar altogether. I love that my spring break is what it is because I basically get 
the bulk of the NCAA on a time off from school. And it is just absolutely beautiful. I mean, obviously, playing games Tuesday, Wednesday, and the Thursday games, I'll be tuned into less, but I'll have the round of 32, the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight on my spring break. And I find it very unlikely that the university thinks of it that way, especially a team with a university with low basketball expectations, fire Mark Fox, but it works out this way and it is beautiful. And it'll lead right into watching more of the footy. Speaking of, you know, USF, they had the watch party day for the selection show and there weren't that many students there because spring break just got underway, but lots of athletes there, both the men's and women's team there to watch. Um, the women also are going to the WNIT, so congrats to them. Maybe, you know, to come full circle, you know, we talked about college basketball a little bit at the start of the episode. Josh Coonan, who plays for USF, is actually a Cats fan. Hopefully, at some point, could talk with him further. Or other Australians who still follow sport, Kelly Lao Pepe, who kind of became a cult hero with his awesome mullet. He plays for Loyola Marymount down in L.A. He's a Cats fan. He actually just posted on Instagram a photo with dyed hair, and now he looks like a more tan Bazlenka. So if you want to go find something entertaining to look at, go check out Kelly Leo Pepe, Kelly, K-E-L-I, or if you just look up LMU player hair, he's the one that'll come up because he's really the only discussion that LMU's gotten on the national stage in a while. But he's uh, he's pretty cool, and just he actually has a background in footy. And so to kind of tie things up, to make a long story short, he said if he wasn't a basketball player, he'd probably be playing footy. Maybe there's still room for him to do it someday. Wish him well in doing so. And I hope whether you're trying to figure out how to divide your time up between college basketball and footy over the next couple of weeks, whether you're going to enjoy both, I am just looking forward to this. It's such a great time of year. And again, I'm really glad we got to do this preview because I'm so hyped up now for this season to get started nine matches in round one that should all be super compelling as the year goes on you know if some of these matches were played later there'd be matches you could kind of write off and you know spend like 30 seconds talking over but i think they were all worth a thorough examination and it's great that we have a round where no match intersects with another let's do this thing let's go this is the epitome of good for footy very good for footy we'll talk to you again relatively soon because after each round, we will have a round recap, so look for that maybe the Tuesday or Australian Wednesday after round one, and that'll lead nicely into round two. We'll have a preview for that, and we'll keep this cycle going throughout the home and away season. As Brian currently is yelling outside my room, you know, those next couple episodes, we're going to actually get to record in person together. Yeah, so editing this will probably be easier. Looking forward to that, and just looking forward to actually seeing Ethan and just having normal conversation with him, which I think we'll be able to capture the brotherly dynamic and the footy fan dynamic even better. So until then, we are the Castle Brothers, and this is Americans Watching the Footy. And once again, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Americans Footy. Benjamin, you are available on Twitter at BenjaminHK01, unless you've changed anything. I'm still- No, I have not. I'm still available at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L- media grian is available on instagram at cat named grian and once again we have our supporter link available and as peter griffin would say give me money 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 or don't we're just glad you're listening but if you want to give us money we're not going to say no we're just excited for round one 